So the reverse of what's happening right now in Florida is happening in California. What I mean by this is Republicans in the state of Florida are playing offense. They are not allowing the so-called absence of morality that we've been discussing. They're not allowing this absence of morality to take hold in Florida state law. Instead, they are saying, no, there's objective truth, there's reality. We're not going to let the left indoctrinate our children in moral relativism or in modernity. We are going to actually legislate that children are protected from evil ideologies by being by taking off- offensive, by playing offense against some of these evil ideologies that are happening in school. The opposite is happening in the state of California right now. There's actually a tidal wave of legislation that's coming in California. It's about to it's about to break over the states um, related to COVID-19. And this is exactly what happens when Republicans don't play offense at the state level. This is what happens when we allow this absence of morality, this so-called tolerance to be the driving force behind our fighting strategy in a state is the absence of religion, the absence of morality, the absence of objective truth leaves this vacuum that authoritarianism in which authoritarianism thrives. And this is also, by the way, one of the reasons why Dr. Fauci is not the star of the show anymore, why he's not on every liberal news program every day like he was before. This is this is because the second stage of what the left wants to do with COVID-19, they don't want us to be watching. The first stage, they wanted us to feel the fear. They wanted us to watch those death tickers that CNN was putting on the screen every day. They wanted us to eat and sleep and breathe COVID-19. And now they don't want us watching anymore because their second phase, um, their second phase they're implementing it. They're implementing their second phase and they're doing it in California in the form of nine pieces of legislation, which will drastically change the lives of every single person that lives in that state. That is what I want to talk about tonight. I'm Liz Wheeler. Welcome to the Liz Wheeler Show. Did you know that poor sleep can cause weight gain? Mood issues, poor mental health, and lower productivity, and that sleeping less than six to seven hours per night is linked to reduced white blood cell count. Not many people realize this, but having a consistent nighttime routine is so important. A better tomorrow starts tonight. Introducing Beam Dream. Beam is the world's most innovative functional wellness brand with unique products for everything from sleep to recovery. And today, my viewers and my listeners, you get a special discount available for Beam's sleep product. It's called Dream Powder. It's their best-selling healthy hot cocoa. It contains natural sleep-promoting premium ingredients, triple lab tested, no THC. 98% of people surveyed fall asleep faster when taking Beam Dream, and 99% of people experience better sleep quality. Find out why Forbes and the New York Times are all talking about Beam and why it's trusted by the world's top athletes like Danica Patrick and Baker Mayfield. And if you don't love it, well, you can get your money back guaranteed. For a limited time, you can get $20 off when you go to bemoreorganics.com slash Liz and use my promo code L-I-Z, my name, Liz, at checkout. That's B-E-A-M organics.com slash Liz and use my promo code Liz for $20 off at checkout. Beamorganics.com slash Liz. So these nine pieces of legislation that are in California, there were actually 10 until earlier this week and the author the sponsor of the 10th piece of legislation, which would have required all employees, every single employee in the state of California to have a COVID-19 vaccine, including independent contractors. This bill was nixed by the author, the sponsor, Buffy Wicks, Assemblywoman Buffy Wicks. And the reason that she pulled this back, she said at first, this was in a Twitter thread, and at first she said, well, it's because the the landscape of COVID-19 is changing. This, This isn't an effective, necessary strategy anymore. But the truth of the matter is, there was a lot of opposition to this bill. There was a lot of pushback, especially from unions. There was a lot of pushback against this bill. And that opposition politically killed this bill. She she had no choice but to but to remove this bill. And so the, the reason I'm talking about this bill first is because that's one. There are still nine to go. And if opposition, if loud opposition, if, if loud opposition is successful in getting these bills removed by the author of the bill before they are passed into law, then what does that tell us? We need to be very loud. We need to oppose these bills. People need to understand, people in California need to understand exactly what these bills are and how they encroach upon your freedom. The first one is Senate Bill 871. You can go to um, you can go to the California State Legislature website and read the legislation for yourself. 
But what this bill does is it creates a vaccine mandate, a COVID-19 vaccine mandate for children going to public school or children going to charter schools and little children going to daycare. Now, this the way that this is phrased is funny. The way that this is phrased is they say we're just we're just adding another FDA approved vaccine into the all into the list of already approved and required vaccines necessary to go to public school. But um, this is actually far more draconian than this because in the in the in the words the language of this bill, and I want to read you from from the actual language of this bill. It says existing law prohibits the governing authority of a school or other institution from unconditionally admitting any person as a pupil of any public or private elementary or secondary school, childcare center, day nursery, nursery school, family daycare home, or development center, unless prior to their admission to that institution, they have been fully immunized against various diseases, including measles, mumps, pertussis, hepatitis B, and any other disease deemed appropriate by the State Department of Public Health as specified. Existing law authorizes an exemption from those provisions for medical reasons. Now, they go on to say that except for hepatitis B, hepatitis B, they have other other reasons that you can obtain an exemption if you don't want your child to have this vaccine. So in addition to adding the COVID-19 vaccine, it says, under existing law, notwithstanding the above described prohibition, full immunization against hepatitis B is not a condition by by which the governing authority admits or advances a pupil to the seventh grade level of public or private elementary or secondary school. This bill would remove the above described exception relating to hepatitis B. The bill would additionally prohibit the governing authority of a school or other institution from unconditionally admitting any person as a pupil of any public or private elementary school or secondary school, childcare center, day nursery, nursery school, family daycare home or development center, unless prior to their admission to that institution, they've been fully immunized against COVID-19. To the extent that the bill would create new duties for school districts, the bill would impose a state mandated local program. How creepy is that? So now there's going to be a government task force that is responsible for giving your little child going to daycare the COVID-19 vaccine. And then it says, um, this bill would repeal the provision that allowed personal and religious exemptions, thereby removing the personal belief exemption from any additional immunization requirements deemed appropriate by the department. So now, not only is your little kid going to be in California, if this bill passes into law, not only would your little child be required to get the COVID-19 vaccine, but there would be no, no possibility for you to get an exemption based on a philosophical reason or a personal reason. It would only be a medical exemption to the COVID-19 vaccine. Now, the problem with the medical exemptions is that the medical exemptions are defined by the same governing boards like the American Academy of Pediatrics, as we've been talking about the last week. The American Academy of Pediatrics is motivated by money. They're motivated by big pharma. They're motivated by, you know, the government in the sense that they get money from the government or the pharma industry is highly tied to the government. Think of how Dr. Fauci and the NIH are tied to big pharma and the development of vaccines. And so the places that that dictate what constitutes a medical exemption are the governing boards. This isn't up to the individual pediatrician, the individual doctor. The governing boards set the standard of care. They say what an appropriate reason for a medical exemption is. And um, those, those reasons are very narrow. You or I might differ in our belief that a medical exemption is necessary, but the doctor has no choice, can't sign off on a medical exemption unless risking his or her license, unless that medical exemption falls into the category that has been deemed appropriate by these governing boards the American Academy of Pediatrics, which is compromised by big pharma, or the government, which is also compromised by big pharma. So this this bill drastically, drastically infringes on parental rights to decide what vaccine that their child should get, especially a vaccine like the COVID-19 vaccine, which has Um, which we know does not prevent you from contracting COVID-19. It does not prevent you from transmitting COVID-19, that according to the CDC. And we know that there are side effects. We know that children's risk of fatality from COVID-19 is extremely low. This drastically infringes on your parental rights. That's one bill. Then we have Assembly Bill 2098. Assembly Bill 2098. And I want you to look all of these up for yourself. Read the language of these bills. I'm going to be reading some of the most telling parts, the most dangerous parts, the most, um, the places where government is grabbing power from people or infringing on our rights in the most draconian way. But read the entire thing for yourself. So Assembly Bill 2098, this makes it 
Um, this classifies, I should say, any doctor or any medical professional who gives advice on COVID-19 itself or on the vaccines that is different than the so-called consensus now, what they mean by consensus is the Dr. Fauci view of COVID-19 and vaccine. Any doctor that gives any advice to their patients that is different than what Dr. Fauci or the CDC or the World Health Organization say um, can be can lose their license. This this could be deemed as unprofessional conduct, and this could be this could subject the provider to a disciplinary not only review but actual discipline from the medical board that issues their license. Again, this is Assembly Bill. This is Assembly Bill 2098, and this is some of the language of the bill. It says, existing law provides for the licensure and regulation of physicians and surgeons by the Medical Board of California and the Osteopathic Medical Board of California. Existing law requires the applicable board to take action against any licensed physician and surgeon who is charged with unprofessional conduct as provided. This bill would designate the dissemination or promotion of misinformation or disinformation related to the SARS-CoV-2 coronavirus or COVID-19 as unprofessional conduct. The bill would require the board to consider specified factors prior to bringing a disciplinary action against a physician or surgeon. The bill would also make the findings and declarations in this regard. And so, of course, what is the definition of disinformation? What's the definition of misinformation? This is going to be decided by these very radical leftist legislatures in, in the California state capitol. And so you have to ask, well, wh what, is, what is the definition? I mean, are they, are they being vague about this? Well, yes, they are. They're being vague about this. Whenever there is vague language in a piece of legislation that is a red flag because that means in the moment when they're enforcing it, they can invent a definition for what they mean. So if you don't de define misinformation and disinformation, then that, that's subject to interpretation. Anybody can accuse anybody else of misinformation and disinformation. This is a way of keeping the entire medical profession in docile in line with what Dr. Fauci says. The only thing that they, the only, the only phrase or word in this legislation that gives you any kind of idea of how the legislation would define misinformation or disinformation is the word consensus. The word consensus. Now, science is not determined by consensus. In fact, a lot of scientific discoveries at the time were received with opposition from the consensus. Science challenges the status quo. And so consensus is certainly not a way, is certainly not a way to judge whether information is true or whether information is false, but it is a way to make sure that doctors across the board don't question the World Health Organization or the UN or Big Pharma or Dr. Fauci or any of the governing boards, any of the public health establishment who, um, as we know, have not been abiding by the science. They have been, they have been issuing whether it's lockdowns or mask mandates or vaccine passports, they have been issuing these restrictions and these violations of our liberty based on their own ideology. That is Assembly Bill 2098 that threatens medical providers who dare to dissent from Dr. Fauci. Then we have Senate Bill 866. Senate Bill 866 is just the most horrendous violation of parental rights. This is what we've been talking about when I said you can, you can tell that Marxism has reached this, this crucial point because they've started coming after children. For a while, they were coming after just the institutions in our country, the, the democratic institutions, you know, elections, the Senate, the Electoral College. They, for a long time, attacked the nuclear family. They've, you know, promoted divorce. They've promoted promiscuous sex and, and premarital sex and extramarital sex and, you know, abortion and birth control and all, all of these different things that are detrimental to the nuclear family. They've gone after women and, and tried to break this bond women have with their families and their children and tell women that their, their value and their worth is based just on the amount of money that is in their paycheck paycheck that they they get out out of the home instead of inside the home they've they've come after you know they've used race as a dividing factor but the the worst the creepiest the most evil attack is the attack that we're seeing on our nation's children right now because the radical left with our marxist motives knows that the ultimate way to sever the american family the ultimate way to destroy our country is for the government to take children away from their parents, for children not to be in the dominion of their household, not to have parents making decisions for their kids, but to have kids be viewed as under the control of the state. 
the agency of the state. And again, of course, that's that's the fight in Florida that we're seeing right now. Well, SB 866 is the same thing. This bill lowers the age of consent to 12 years old, meaning children as young as 12 years old will be allowed to choose to get a vaccine. In this case, the COVID-19 vaccine But this bill, the language in this bill, allows any other FDA-approved vaccine to also fall into these categories. A child as young as 12 years old can get any FDA-approved vaccine without the consent of their parents or despite the lack of consent from their parents. So a 12-year-old child now, a 12-year-old child who is very vulnerable, is very young, I mean, that is a child who might be pressured by a teacher, might be pressured by a school administrator, might be pressured by their friends, might be manipulated, might be abused. This child can now say, I'd like this COVID-19 vaccine in a school setting, and the parent doesn't have to be notified, and the parent doesn't have to give their consent. This is, this. I mean, this is one of the ways that our government officials, particularly the radical left, is trying to take children away from their parents. They're trying to say, well, this isn't the child's best interest. This is this is protective of the child's physical and mental, mental health care. That's a phrase in this in the text of this piece of legislation, that it, it might be detrimental to their mental health if they don't get this vaccine. The only reason that it would be detrimental to their mental health is if somebody's bullying them, which is wrong, or if they've been indoctrinated in fear about COVID-19, which would not be according to the science. These are political manipulation tactics, but this bill would allow children as young as 12 years old to get this vaccine, even if their parents oppose this without parental consent. Then we have Senate Bill 920. And by the way, it's interesting that these bills, it's interesting, I think, when I was thinking about all these bills, I thought, wow, this is crazy that these are not headlines across the country. This is crazy that... You know, what we see happening in Florida, this is the same kind of assault on parental rights that we're seeing in California. And yet, the public health establishment, the mainstream media, the left, they are trying to be as quiet as possible about this because they know that parents would rebel against this. They know that across party lines, these would be rejected as they should. Senate Bill 920 authorizes these same medical boards that have jurisdiction over whether physicians are licensed or not. Therefore, if they have jurisdiction over whether physicians are licensed, sometimes they have to do investigations into the physicians and perhaps why they've been getting exemption, giving exemptions to vaccine and are the reasons they've been giving exemptions in line with the standards set by the governing boards. SB 920 authorizes the medical board in the state of California to inspect the medical records and the offices of physicians without the consent of the patient whose records are being reviewed. So think about that. You go to the doctor, your doctor asks you personal questions, they make notes about it in your medical record. This is supposed to be between you and the doctor. But the state of California can send investigators from the medical board to your doctor's office and without asking your consent, they can look at your medical record. They can see whether you've been vaccinated. They can see whether you've not been vaccinated. They can see whether your child's been vaccinated. And then they can look at why. All in an effort to try to control how your doctor is treating you as the patient. This, again, this should be a headline across the entire nation. Like if that makes you, if that makes your stomach curdle, if that doesn't feel like the most invasive violation of your privacy, I, it makes me, when I go to the doctor, want to be political with my doctor. It makes me think of my doctor as not someone who's on my team, but someone who I have to be cagey with. Because I think, well, this interaction, not only is this doctor perhaps controlled by the state, they're viewing the interaction with me through the eyes of how the state is going to view our interaction, which means that there's a third party in the room with you and your doctor, with me and my doctor, the democratic operatives, the democratic politicians in the state of California. Those are the last people that I want to share my private information with, because why do they want my private information except to decide whether they want to give their stamp of approval or not, whether they validate how I'm handling my health and perhaps to pressure my doctor to handle my health differently than I want to. Friends, one of the biggest problems that all Americans will face in 2022 
is runaway food prices. Sky-high inflation is hitting everyone hard already. Imagine how much worse it's going to get. But I have a solution that you are going to love. This actually is a positive outlook. Get yourself some long-term storage emergency food from My Patriot Supply, America's largest emergency food provider. Hands down, this is the most affordable way to buy emergency food. This food, by the way, is delicious. I know my husband and I keep a, a store of backup food. My husband's somewhat of a prepper. When we were home at my parents' house for Christmas, my husband was telling my dad about our emergency food uh, supply that we keep in our basement. My dad is actually starting doing this too. They have a store of backup food in their basement. I mean, they see the writing on the wall. They're doing it too. So get the four-week emergency food kit. This provides breakfast, lunch, dinner, drinks, and snacks. Right now, you can save $50 on each four-week kit that you order if you use my URL. It's preparewithliz.com. You can pick up one kit for each person in your family, and then you can laugh if you don't cry at the sky-high food prices at the grocery store. Don't wait. Go to my URL. It's preparewithliz.com. Dot com. Do it right now. Your family deserves this. The times call for this. Preparewithliz.com. So these, believe it or not, are just four of the bills. This is what we're facing in the state of California. And remember, the reason that California can't be dismissed as just the land of fruits and nuts is because what happens in California is often disseminated to the rest of the country. Think about the the politicians that are in our federal government who are in the highest positions of power. Think about our vice president, Kamala Harris. She was the senator from the state of California. Before that, she was the attorney general in the state of California. Think about Nancy Pelosi, Speaker of the House from California. Before she was the Speaker of the House, before she was in the federal federal government, she was the head of the California Democratic Party. The people that are the, the politicians who are crafting this draconian legislation in California not only have have federal aspirations for themselves, their policies. I mean, we really are a laboratory of democracy in each and every state. And what happens first in California, it's like a Petri dish. First it festers in California, and then it infects the rest of the nation unless we stop it. We have a unique, we're in a unique position here where these draconian violations of particularly parental rights aren't just a Republican or a conservative issue. They're not just a matter of our philosophy on limited government versus the Democrats' philosophy on big daddy government. This is something that's agreed upon by parents across the board. They want control of their own kids. They don't want politicians thousands of miles away with agenda, with agendas and conflict, financial conflict of, conflicts of interest to making decisions about the health care of their children. Senate Bill 1464, Senate Bill 1464 in the state of California. This threatens law enforcement. It threatens law enforcement with being defunded, loss of all the money that supports them if they don't become the primary enforcers of public health dictates. So what comes to mind here is mask mandates. And there are sheriffs in California who said, no, we're not, we're not going to focus on enforcing outdoor mask mandates. That's not something that we're going to do. Um, and under this piece of legislation, Senate Bill 1464, if law enforcement agencies do not make the enforcement of public health dictates a priority, if they don't fully enforce them, then they'll lose their funding. They'll lose, they'll lose their money. And I mean, think about this. This is going to turn your local police officers, your local sheriffs, your local deputies into just enforcers for these radical leftist politicians. They're just going to say, listen, here's our dictate. Go and punish people for it. Go arrest people for it. And just ignore the fact that in the state of California, we have a border crisis. We have a human trafficking crisis. We have a drug crisis. We have murders and homelessness. We have crime, rampant looting and robbery. Ignore all of that, the violent crime. And focus on the people that don't wear masks on the beach when they're running. Because if, if police officers don't arrest people for that, then they're going to be defunded. So ask yourself too, what these politicians, what, what's the implication of this policy? So not only do police officers become the enforcer of radical leftist ideology, which is terrifying, if they're focused, if law enforcement officers are focused on arresting, arresting a paddleboarder who is not wearing a mask outdoors when there's a mask mandate for outdoors, then that's going to encourage criminals to commit more crimes because law enforcement's going to be spread so thin that they're not going to be able to focus on actual crime. So not only is California dangerous right now, there are crises in California now, it will get worse as a result of this bill. And make no mistake, these are the same people. Think, of, think about California. What is California known for? Their mask mandates. But what are, they, what are they also known for? The mayor of San Francisco violating her own mask mandate. London Breed. Nancy Pelosi 
violating her support for a mask mandate at the beauty salon. Gavin Newsom violating his own mask mandate at the French Laundry. These people don't believe that masks actually prevent COVID-19. They don't believe that masks actually keep people safe. They don't believe that masks are an emergency response to an emergency situation. Because if they did believe that, they would actually follow their own dictates. But they don't. They're just trying to control you. And now they're using law enforcement under threat of defunding the police. They're using law enforcement to try to enforce these dictates which makes you and your family less safe because law enforcement won't have time or resources to focus on the actual crimes that are being committed in your neighborhood. That's Senate Bill 1464. Then we have Senate Bill 1479. Senate Bill 1479 focuses on schools. It forces schools to continue a COVID-19 testing regimen. Continue it. Even if they're not suffering from COVID-19, even if it doesn't matter, it forces schools to test for COVID-19. But what's worse is it's not actually the school officials that are doing the testing. It sends government officials into schools to test. And then it requires schools to report the test results to the state. So in other words, your child, if you send your child to school, which you have to do or you will be penalized for truancy, if you send your child to school, your child will be tested. A medical procedure will be administered to your child against your will. And then the result of that medical procedure will be reported to government officials, to state officials. This is a violation of parental rights. It's a violation of privacy. And it's unscientific and it's unnecessary. Yet Senate Bill 1479 mandates just this. Then we have Senate Bill 1390. Senate Bill 1390 is particularly dangerous because it is particularly vague. It essentially, it, well, it isn't essentially, it is a violation of free speech. It actually prohibits people from saying certain things in certain contexts. And what I mean by this is it prohibits even individuals from spreading so-called disinformation on social media. it look it up for yourself. It's Senate Bill 13, um, it's Senate Bill 1390. I'm going to bring it up here so that I can uh, read you the exact text from this piece of legislation. Senate Bill 1390, and this is what it says. Existing law prohibits a person, among others, from making or disseminating in any advertising device or in any manner or means whatsoever, including over the internet, any statement concerning real or personal property or services that is untrue or misleading as specified. Existing law defines libel as a false and unprivileged publication, including by writing, printing, or picture that exposes any per person to hatred, contempt, or ridicule, among other things. This bill would prohibit a social media platform, as defined, from amplifying harmful content in a manner that results in a user viewing harmful content from another user with whom the user did not choose to share a connection. Now, as I said, look for vague language. What is vague language here? Harmful content harmful content. So what harms another person? Well, by the definition of the left, I mean, they tell me, the left tells me that me questioning the policy of universal vaccination, me questioning whether a young, healthy person needs a COVID-19 vaccine, given the especially low risk of fatality for a young, healthy person who gets the Omicron variant, they, they consider that to be harmful. I'm giving harmful advice, they say, when I, when I discuss this, when I discuss my own decision not to take the COVID-19 vaccine based on a whole host of factors. This vague language, very vague, leaves it open to the interpretation, the subjective interpretation of these radical leftist politicians. So it says the, the bill would define amplify to mean take action either through manual or automatic means that has the effect of increasing the viewership of certain material. So this would punish social media platforms if, for example, I have a video, this video maybe, on Facebook, and it shows up in the newsfeed, maybe the suggested algorithm for somebody who might be interested in this topic. And because the advice that I give, it's not even advice, it's a discussion. We're just, you and I are just talking about this because we are discussing these bills or vaccines or COVID-19 or treatment or early intervention or whatever it might be, masks maybe. And because the narrative that we're discussing doesn't match what Dr. Fauci says, doesn't match what the California state government, what Gavin Newsom says, what the American Academy of Pediatrics says, what Big Pharma and Pfizer and Moderna say, that's disinformation, or maybe they define it as harmful content. So the bill, it says, quote, would provide that harmful content includes libel or slander as specified threats of imminent violence against government entities and 
disinformation or misinformation, including but not limited to false or misleading information regarding medicine or vaccinations, false or misleading information regarding elections, and conspiracy theories. So again, the vague language here. So who gets to decide what false and misleading information is? Because I think it's false and misleading information for the left to say that the COVID-19 vaccine prevents people from getting or transmitting COVID-19. That's, that's false. That's misleading. But if I say that, the left defines what I say as false or misleading. I also think it's false or misleading for the left to just entirely, holistically dismiss any concerns about the integrity of the 2020 election. But now, according to the state law, if we talk about that, put that on social media, that can be targeted under the text of this piece of legislation. And conspiracy theories, every, every time the left has used this phrase, conspiracy theories, they've actually completely ruined this, this phrase, because it used to be a terrible accusation. If you were accused of engaging in a conspiracy theory, you know, you rethought what you were saying. You said, wait a second, do I have my facts straight here? No one wanted to be labeled as a conspiracy theorist. And now, as you can see my, my organic reaction here, when, when the left says conspiracy theory, I just laugh because every time the left has accused us on the right of engaging in a conspiracy theory in the past three years, it's literally come true. It's come true. They said, oh, it's a conspiracy theory that Hillary Clinton tried to target Trump. It's a conspiracy theory that there was this group in the FBI, Obama's FBI and Department of Justice, including Joe Biden, by the way, who tried to go after Michael Flynn. It's a conspiracy that, you know, the mainstream media is colluding to try to take down Brett Kavanaugh. They're, they're intentionally disseminating false accusations by, by, talking, about, by talking about all the, the crazy, crazy false things that um, the left was trying to trying to use to disqualify Brett Kavanaugh. Every single one of these things that we've been told was a conspiracy theory turned out to be true. It turned out to be entirely accurate, in fact. And so a bill like this doesn't define conspiracy theory. They leave it open to the interpretation of leftists who want to label anything they don't want you to hear as a conspiracy to prevent you from hearing it or prevent you from saying it. That is Senate Bill 1390. Then we have Assembly Bill 1797. Assembly Bill 1797 is very simple. It creates a government vaccine registry. Yep, a government vaccine registry, which means that the state of California would have a list with your name on it and whether or not you have received certain vaccines a list with at least your identifying information. This is what it says. Existing law authorizes local health officers and the State Department of Public Health to operate immunization information systems. Don't you just love their euphemisms? Immunization information systems. Yeah, it's a vaccine registry. Existing law, except as provided, authorizes healthcare providers and other agencies, including, among others, schools, childcare facilities, family childcare homes, and county human services agencies to disclose specified immunization information with local health departments and the State Department of Public Health, and authorizes local health departments and the department to disclose the same information to each other and to healthcare providers, schools, childcare facilities, family childcare homes, and the county human services agencies, among others, as specified. Existing law specifies the immunization, patient, or client information that may be disclosed, which includes, among other things, patient or client demographic information, immunization data, adverse reactions to the immunization, or other information needed to identify the patient or client or to comply with these laws. Very key phrase phrase right there, identify the patient. So whenever a leftist says, oh, oh, no, 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 this is just demographic information. They just want, need to know for herd immunity purposes, for public health reasons, what percentage of the population has gotten a vaccine or not. They might need to trace, you know, if a, if a daycare, a, a kindergarten has an outbreak of pertussis, they just need to know what percentage of people were vaccinated. And if vaccinated people contracted the, the disease or if unvaccinated people, that is not true. That is not what they need this information for. They literally said other information needed to identify the patient. So information that could identify you and your vaccination status or your child and your child's vaccination status is now going to be kept by the state of California. If this isn't the creepiest thing that you've ever heard, think about why. Think about why. Ask the question why. Why do you need this information? Why are you keeping a registry of people who've gotten vaccinated or not and who they are? The only reason for a list like this, a registry like this, is to exert 
pressure, either political pressure, cultural pressure, or legal pressure over individuals who have made decisions about their health care that the government doesn't approve of. And yet this bill in the state of California, that's exactly what it's going to do. Exactly what it's going to do. Assembly Bill 1797. Then we have Assembly Bill 1993. Now this is the one I mentioned at the very beginning. Assembly Bill 1993 would have instituted a COVID vaccine mandate for every single employee, public or private, in the state of California, regardless of how big the company is, regardless of whether they work for the government or for a private employer, and every independent contractor who did work in the state of California. Assembly Bill 1993 was rescinded this week by the author, Assemblywoman Buffy Wicks. Why? Because of opposition. Because of opposition to this bill. Public outcry about this bill. In fact, even unions were against this bill because they know how many members of their unions wanted to make their own healthcare decisions and not be told that they would lose their job unless they underwent a medical procedure that they otherwise would have chosen not to do. They didn't want to be coerced. They didn't want forced vaccination. And the reason for this was opposition. Opposition, which tells us there's a way to stop every other one of these bills from becoming law. And the word for that is opposition. We also have to understand who is behind this slate of bills, because this is not a coincidence. This is not simply a conglomeration, a haphazard group of bills that happen to come together all at the same time that target every aspect of, well, healthcare and our economy and the laws regarding vaccines and how government's allowed to peel, peel off children from their parents and government's allowed to make those decisions about children and parents have nothing to do with it. This is not a coincidence. Now, we all know that half of the people who watch my show are balding men. You know who you are. No shame in it. Well, I have good news for you today. There is a holistic solution for men that promotes both healthier hair and whole body wellness without drugs or prescriptions. It's called Nutrafol. Nutrafol is clinically shown to improve hair growth, thickness, and visible scalp coverage without compromise. It's made of 21 potent natural ingredients, and it supports sex drive, better sleep and less stress too. Now, I recently learned from men who have tried hair growth supplements before that one of the biggest criticisms or problems with these supplements is that it reduces sex drive. So really important to note that Nutrafol does not. It actually supports it. In a clinical study, men showed progressive improvement in hair growth and thickness after three and six months. Nutrafol is also trusted and recommended by more than 1,500 top doctors. So you can grow thicker, healthier hair, and support our show, win-win right there, by going to Nutrafol.com and entering the promo code Liz. If you do that, my promo code will get you $15 off your first month's subscription. This is their best offer anywhere. It's only available to US customers for a limited time. Plus, you'll get free shipping on every order. Get $15 off at Nutrafol.com. It's spelled N-U-T-R-A-F-O-L. Nutrafol.com, promo code Liz. Nutrafol.com promo code Liz. Okay, so who exactly is behind these spate of bills? As I said, this isn't a coincidence. So you look at the sponsors of these bills, the author of these bills, and on almost every one of them, there is a California state senator by the name of Richard Pan. You can see his picture on the screen here. Now, Richard Pan is a pediatrician. You all know my views on pediatricians and how compromised they are right now by the standard of care set by the American Academy of Pediatrics, which is compromised by the money and the ideology, the uh, the money that they get from big pharma and ideology set by, I don't know, the nutso leftists who run the organizations. Well, State Senator Richard Pan is just one of these pediatricians, and he's been working for a long time um, to reduce parental decision or the rights of parents to make decisions about their child's vaccines. Now, I've been familiar with Richard Pan for a long time because even before COVID, Richard Pan would travel around the country talking to different state legislatures or different groups of legislators in different states about how to pass legislation that um, does away with, that eliminates exemptions from childhood vaccine mandates for religious or personal philosophical reasons. This happened in the state of California just a couple of years ago. It happened in the state of Maine just a couple of years ago. If your child is going to public school in these states and there are vaccine requirements for children to attend school, it used to be that you could just get an exemption. You could say, listen, I object to this on religious grounds. I object to this on personal grounds. I object to this on philosophical grounds. And Richard Pan 
not only sponsored the legislation in the state of California, but he's been instrumental in other states in eliminating these religious or philosophical exemptions. This leaves, of course, only a medical exemption, but a medical exemption is, is euphemistic. Because a medical exemption, as I mentioned earlier in the show, doesn't leave it up to the judgment of the doctor and the patient about whether whether this is a good medical decision for the child. There are specific standards set for what constitutes as an appropriate medical exemption. And the standards are set by, well, the American Academy of Pediatrics. Um, And so if a doctor issues a medical exemption to vaccines, especially in California, um, then that doctor's exemption is subject to review by by government officials, by medical board members in the state of California. And it's automatically triggered, in fact. These investigations into doctors are automatically triggered if a doctor issues more than just a couple medical vaccine exemptions every year. We see this happening to a lot of of pediatricians in, in California. So California State Senator Richard Pan has a very extreme agenda on vaccines in general, a very extreme agenda. He's been working on this for a long time. And again, when we're talking about, let me back up just for a second. This is a little tangential, but it's also a little not tangential. Now, you don't have to be um, anti-vax. You can be completely pro-vax when it comes to childhood vaccinations. This, this isn't a matter of, are they wise to give children or are they not wise to give children? This is what we're talking about today is just a matter of, um, of parental rights. This is just a matter of, do parents actually have a decision, have a right to make a decision about their child's health? Or is this going to be something where state, state officials, government officials, politicians make decisions? And if we are taking away rights from parents and giving it those those decision-making power, those decision-making rights to the government, then what's the limiting principle on this? So as I said, this isn't a discussion of the wisdom of childhood vaccines, which, which vaccines are smart, when and for who. That's actually not the discussion. We can have that discussion at some point. That's not the discussion that I want to engage in today. The, the discussion I want to engage in today is if we give government officials this power, then what's the limiting principle? What's the limiting principle that would cause politicians to um, to stop trying to take away parental rights, to stop trying to control how parents take care of their children? What would stop politicians from implementing more and more dictates and more and more control over the way that parents take care of their own kids? And the answer to that is there is actually no limiting principle um, if you take away personal and religious, personal and religious and philosophical reasons for wanting an exemption, if you if you take away the right of parents to say no to make that decision over their child, then a politician has almost entire control over your family decisions. This is this is the legacy. This is this is State Senator Richard Pan. And what's interesting is you can see the motivation of State Senator Richard Pan if you look at who his donors are, his campaign donors. You can you can go to um, you can go to you know followthemoney.org. You can go to a list. You can find a list very easily of who has donated to any politician. And it's very interesting to see who the biggest donors are. You can see this on the screen. I I, I pulled this up before. Who are some of his biggest donors? Well, would you look at that? Some of the biggest donors to vaccine lunatic Richard Pan are Johnson & Johnson, AstraZeneca, Pfizer, Novartis, Sanofi, GlaxoSmithKline, Merck, vaccine manufacturers, Big Pharma, funds Dr. Richard Pan, State Senator Richard Pan, whose agenda is this single-minded focus to force children to get vaccines even without the consent of their parents, to remove parental rights to make a decision about which vaccines their child gets and when, to take choice even indirectly away from parents who perhaps can't afford a private school or a charter school or a home school because if your child goes to public school, If your child goes to daycare, they have to get these vaccines and there's no way to get an exemption around it. He's funded, my friends, by Big Pharma. He's also funded by some of these governing boards, the American College of Emergency Physicians, the California Association of Physician Assistants, the California Medical Association. All of these different governing boards are again tied to Big Pharma. They're the ones who set the standards of care. This money tells the whole story. I mean, there's a reason that People say, follow the money. If you follow the money, you find out exactly how corrupt these politicians are, what their motivating factor is. Now, if you if you look on this page and you look at, in, he's been elected four times, twice to the state assembly and twice to the state senate. If you look at the entirety of how much money 
he has or has been donated to him from the pharmaceutical industry, meaning from Big Pharma. It's $326,000 to this state-level politician. $326,149 to be exact, just from Big Pharma. That doesn't even count individuals who are associated with Big Pharma or any kind of employee of Big Pharma. And we know that's sometimes how Big Pharma will donate indirectly to politicians. Just the actual companies themselves Big pharma companies, $326,000 has been donated to state Senator Richard Pan. This, this man is a threat. This man is more than a nuisance. This man is has made it his life's work in the California state capital to undermine parental rights. He is a vaccine lunatic, and he's trying to take away your right to your right to make decisions about your health and your child's health. Almost every single one of these bills we talked about today is either sponsored, co-sponsored, or authored by State Senator Richard Pan. He has a group that he calls a nonprofit. It's called Protect Us, Protect US. This group is made up of six or seven other individuals in the California state government. We're talking about Evan Lowe. We're talking about Scott Weiner. We're talking about Buffy Wicks. We're talking about other radical leftists in the California state government who wants to dictate to you exactly what you must do with your own health and what you must do with your child health, child's health. And they want to enforce it in a way that makes it impossible for your child to go to school, impossible for you to go to work, impossible for government to keep their nose out of your business. They want to give the government all of your health information. And that's the goal. That's the goal of this nonprofit. This nonprofit is dedicated to the efforts at the governmental level, the efforts Richard Pan is engaging in at the government level to take all of these rights away from you. And so at the same time that all of this is happening in California, and there's basically no headlines about it, they're, they're trying to do this on the sly. They're trying to do this in a way that doesn't garner the opposition from the entire nation, which is why, why the mainstream media, who is also corrupted by big pharma, why the mainstream media is not talking about it. The FDA has approved not only a fourth COVID vaccine, but a fifth. If you look at if you look at the actual language of the approval of, of this booster, the, the FDA has actually redefined what booster means because now they're talking about the three-dose primary series. So that phrase right there tells you that when they're talking about a booster, they've now said that uh, in order to be fully vaccinated, you have to get three shots. And then the booster is now not the third shot. The booster is the fourth shot. So this is a very sneaky sleight of hand, rhetoric-wise. And what's even scarier is they're doing this in order to sneak in a fifth COVID shot, approval for a fifth COVID shot. It is now approved by the FDA for, quote, immunocompromised individuals to get a fifth COVID shot because they define the primary series of the COVID vaccine as three shots, a booster as four, that's now approved for anybody over 50, and a fifth for anybody that's immunocompromised. This is nuts. This is absolutely nuts. F FDA approval, by the way, we know means nothing at this point. The CDC, the FDA, the NIH are all compromised by big pharma, by radical leftist ideology, by the control that leftist politicians in our government want to exert over our lives. They're using COVID and vaccines and passports and masks to enact this control over us. The CDC recently admitted that they colluded with the American Federation for, uh, of Teachers, the AFT, the second largest teachers union in our country, on the guidelines for reopening schools. This is after the CDC had previously denied doing this. But now, now we see, even though the CDC told us that this was just science, their guidelines were just based on science, we see, we see the politics that has corrupted their recommendations because the CDC gave the American Federation for Teachers line-by-line -line approval, line-by-line -line editing power over their guidelines for when and where and how to reopen schools. This is, it's corrupt. It's why people don't have faith in the CDC anymore, why the FDA approval means nothing, why the NIH is simply a corrupt institution run by Dr. Fauci, um, tied to big pharma profit motives. Fauci, by the way, speaking of Fauci, he said that more restrictions, he's warned people, more restrictions for COVID might be coming. And to this day, he won't admit that lockdowns harmed our country. I'm interested in your reluctance to use the word lockdown. Do you think two years on that they were worth it or were they too severe? You know, I don't think we're ever going to be able to determine what the right balance is. I think the restrictions, if you want to use that word, which I tend to shy away from, 
lockdown, this certainly prevented a lot of infections, prevented a lot of hospitalizations, and prevented a lot of deaths. There's no doubt about that. Obviously, when you do have that kind of restriction on society, there are unintended negative consequences, particularly in children who are not allowed to go to school, in the psychological and mental health aspects it has on children, in the economic stress that it puts on society in general, on individual families. Obviously, those are negative consequences that are unintended. But of course, he wasn't, he received no pushback in the sense that Johns Hopkins University did a study, did an analysis that found uh, that lockdowns didn't help. It didn't help the trajectory of COVID-19. It didn't help slow the spread or stop transmission. And that, of course, is separate from the, the harm inflicted by the lockdowns. It's really two separate questions. What was the harm inflicted by lockdowns? And did lockdowns even help? And of course, you would have to, you would have to do a uh, a risk-benefit analysis, because if there was harm inflicted, but they also prevented harm, then you'd have to analyze, well, which was more. But Johns Hopkins University found that they didn't even prevent the spread. They didn't stop COVID-19. And so now we just have to look at everything that Fauci mentioned, all these harms that were actively inflicted by the lockdowns, and that's the legacy of the lockdowns. They did nothing, but they harmed people. They harmed our economy. They harmed people's businesses. They harmed people's mental health. They, they violated our rights, our constitutionally protected rights. And Fauci claims without any scientific evidence, in fact, he contradicts scientific evidence by claiming that they saved millions of lives. And they're coming back. He doesn't want to use the word restrictions, he says, but they're coming back if necessary, if there's another, if there's another variant of COVID-19. My friends, this is what happens. This is what happens when there is the absence of offense at the state level, when there's the false idea of tolerance, when Republicans sit back on their heels, when we give too much power to state governments or state public health officials or even county public health officials or unelected bureaucrats at the federal level who don't adhere to science. They talk out, they talk out of their rear end, out of their profit motive that's tied to big pharma. And this is imposed on us. When Republicans don't play offense at the state level, what happens in California will happen in your home state unless, unless we rise up in opposition. And when I say rise up in opposition, I'm talking about the kind of opposition that stopped the private employee vaccine mandate, caused Buffy Wicks to pull that bill, Assembly Bill 1993, before it even became law. If we do this, my friends, we can stop and we must before these bills become law in California and then are disseminated to states all across the country. Our Locals VIP of the week is Clawhammer. Clawhammer, welcome to the Liz Wheeler Show community on Locals. We've been having a grand old time over on Locals. Um, I told what I consider to be one of the funniest jokes. Uh, it's a groaner, I will warn you, but it made me laugh pretty hard about Chris Rock and Will Smith and the great slap. So if you haven't checked that out, head on over and check it out. We also, um, I made a post asking for questions. Ask me anything, personal, political, professional, parental, pithy, whatever. Um, whatever question you may have for me, and we are going to do a VIP, a special extra episode for VIPs answering all your questions, any and all questions. So head on over there. So go to lizwheelershow.com slash locals and join in the fun over there. lizwheelershow.com slash locals. Thank you for watching today. Thank you for listening. I'm Liz Wheeler. This is The Liz Wheeler Show. The Liz Wheeler Show is produced by Jonathan Hay. Executive producer, Chad Abbott. Director of Photography, Kevin McRoberts. Editor, Alejandro Figuerilla. Sound mixer, Robin Fenderson. Director of Marketing, Emily Washler. Production and Talent Coordinator, Matt Toffler. And Senior Publicist, Patricia Jackson. This has been a Soundfront production.